0: Hello, fans. This is Jeff Reimble. This is the 79th edition of coffee with coach. And it's a special one because it's our great cup edition. Uh, we play the great cup on Sunday here in Canada, the 108th, the 108th great cup. It is the longest, uh, it is the longest standing championship, uh, in pro sports and, uh, really a phenomenal, phenomenal game. It's a phenomenal weekend and everything in Canada, uh, really stops on Sunday. It's a huge day for parties across Canada. Everybody gets together to watch the game. Uh, it'll be the single most uh, watched sporting event, one-day sporting event in Canada. It is really, really a big deal. So, come on out here, Michael. Let's talk a little ball.
1: Hi, Jeff. How are you? Oh,
0: I'm good. I'm good, man. How, what do, you, how do you think I am? We, we are in championship mode, buddy. We are uh, today is our Uh, what we call our day zero it's where we meet we met with our players this morning we went through an introduction to uh, what's going to happen this week to them you know as always when you're in these kinds of game championships games uh, there's so much more going on there's so many more media people around there's demands on their time that's all it's it's craziness and then on top of that you got to get ready to play a football game on sunday so it's kind of crazy around here but i did not want to Take a break from talking ball with you, my man. What what, what did you watch the
1: game last night in Buffalo? Oh, well, ho- hold on two seconds. Stu from Edinburgh says, uh, "Go go Tiger Cats!" So you've got a fan there, Jeff. I think there's going to be a big contingent this weekend. Can I just say congratulations? But not just that, there to the special teams master. I seen that at the weekend. <laughs> we we all seen that at the weekend. I think a few teams in the NFL could have done that at the weekend. But uh, yeah, I watched the game last night and um, i've got this new technique in my old days jeff where i record the game in the sky wake up at 6am with my cellular data off my wi-fi off i have no idea what's going on uh get a cup of tea and watch it done that this morning um, wow i mean <laughs> mac jones like it's it's not even a factor because the run game worked the defense worked the pats get over the line are they the long-term answer in the afc this season i'm not sure but 13 weeks in they're on top, and that's all that matters? Hey, I'm
0: going to tell you something. To me, that was a master's class in coaching by Bill Belichick because he had the hottest quarterback in the AFC, the hottest quarterback in the AFC, and they threw the ball three times in the game. And that is proof of beyond all things that what matters in New England is winning. And whatever you got to do, to win the football game, you do. I wonder how many other offensive coordinators would have been satisfied to, to throw the ball three times in a football game. And I, hats off to Josh McDaniel. Hats off to the Patriots. That offensive line played outstanding. And I think what's happened now is the Bills The Bills are now 7-5, and five, and they've got Tampa Bay coming up next. They are yeah. in some – I wouldn't say they're in trouble, but I'm going to tell you something. This game against Tampa Bay is huge for them. They cannot,
1: in my opinion,
0: go to seven and six.
1: Tampa Bay in Florida, and then they play the Patriots the week after in Foxborough. Patriots have a bye week this week. So that's that's a massive two weeks. Like if if you can take away Anahan last night from a Buffalo fans point of view, you know, Josh Allen is gonna be sitting there today in upstate New York, fuming with himself. I'd say annoyed at himself. This is this either going to kick their season in the gear? or else they're going to go downhill from here but Jeff I I can't call the AFC at all I like it's literally a a coin flip who is going to be the number one seed who will be in LA in February but it's such a great season because we 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 can't call it and I I've really enjoyed it over the last few weeks even in a neutral standpoint I mean like obviously my team get beat on Sunday Night Football but this isn't the Michael watches his team show it's the Jeff Reinbold copy coach show so it's all good tell tell me this though right like gray cup what time is that on sunday we play at six o'clock it's a six o'clock
0: kickoff uh you know so that it can be uh throughout the country in prime time and uh the the pregame show starts at five so again if you if you catch it on the espn family and networks and bt sport is one of those outlets you're gonna see a tremendous you can't buy a ticket to this thing right now it's i mean it's ticket prices have doubled there were about 300 of them left now those are gone um, the gray cup itself was flown into the city today by helicopter from toronto it's 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 here the head coaches are right now over at a at a press conference to, to welcome the great cup in all of the media is in town the opposing team comes in this afternoon um, and it, it is championship week it's just like the super bowl just a little smaller version a little cooler, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: as we say, the last three or four weeks, just for the time, and usually you play at a different time, your schedule's been crazy for us watching it this year, but uh, try and simulcast it. Obviously, watch the NFL in Sky, but uh, it's on BT Sport this weekend as well, at 11 o'clock, UK, Ireland. ESPN2 in the States, because there's people watching from America here as well. You've got a pro bowler coming in in a couple of minutes, Jeff. Uh for the Packers. And he, he knows Coach, uh, Coach Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Coach Jags. Coach Jags.
0: Yep. He play, He would have been. I think he would have been with Jags when uh, when they were in Green Bay together. And and uh, he's an interesting, really, really interesting guy. And and uh, you know, has a has a he has a journey now. He's he's not a typical route to the NFL guy. So um, you know, I think I think uh, it'll be a great guy for the fans to get to know. Uh, he's very intelligent guy. Played 11 years in the National Football League, was a Pro Bowler in the National Football League, and like I said, he didn't come, you know, didn't come into the NFL in a typical fashion. He went to the United States Naval Academy out of high school, and with an idea that he was going to be a naval officer, and uh, again, got drafted in the, in the second round of the supplemental draft, and and had a he had a great career, 11 year career in the NFL, and that's ta- that's hard to do, play 11 11 years. So I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to talking to the the young guy
1: indeed I fans, funds of course pond funds on Seahawks funds in general NFL funds get your questions in because the guest is here Jeff so do you want to I know you've introduced him, but do you want to just move again I'll, I'll bring him in
0: well I no, I you know uh, while we get in here man let's let's talk a little ball ah, there we go how's it going coach how are we doing I'm doing great man I tell you what I want you to start today and you know we talked about everybody's got a story everybody's got a path everybody's got a football you know you know football history right. for you for you different route to the national football league than oh, is, no, is normally taken you choose navy with the with the, with the, with the idea a story that,
2: behind oh yeah there's a story behind that too <laughs> well
0: i'm 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 anxious to hear that because okay. uh Kenny Niamatololo is a very good friend of mine. The head coach oh, you know at
2: Navy. you know Coach Neamat? Yeah, he's a man. I love he that is,
0: man. He is a fantastic guy, and I've known Kenny for a long time. He uh he's from the North Shore in Oahu. I live on the big island of of Hawaii. And uh uh he he asked me one time to come and be his guest at the Notre Dame Navy game. All right, now you'll you'll appreciate this. We had played Navy when I was coaching at SMU, and you know, Navy was always typical, scrappy, tough, play every play to this last, to the echo of the whistle. I mean, they're going to compete regardless of the score. But I never really, you know, you know, you get a different impression when, when, you, when you see them as midshipmen in their uniforms and all that stuff. So we're riding from Michigan City where they stayed and we're riding on the bus to South Bend with the motorcade and all that stuff. But I look around and I'm seeing these guys and... I'm thinking to myself, God, they look young, and man, they are small. And then, <laughs> we, dude, we we walk into Notre Dame Stadium, right? And they go up into that locker room, you know, kind of back in that tunnel, and everybody's getting ready for the game. So we go out, we're going out to warm up, and uh, then Notre Dame <laughs> comes out. And I looked at Navy guys, And I looked at the Notre Dame guys and I looked back at the Navy guys and I'm going to tell you, I said, I just hope nobody gets killed today. I mean, I swear to God. But you know what? They played they played Notre Dame off their feet. They had a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter. And I tell you what, you talk about guys that get the most out of their athletes. Those coaches at Navy do an amazing, amazing
2: job. Yeah, I think so. I don't know what year you were there, but I mean, you could really be describing any year as far, as far as the discrepancy in athletic ability. I think that's one of the best things about being in Navy too, is as far as college sports go, you know, it's such a pure environment because all those guys know that this is the last stop, Like right? The next, the next thing they're going to do is go work for their, for their country. And so you don't have any of kind of the, uh, like I remember we were playing this kid. I, I forgot his name. We were playing this kid. He's a big, big time recruit in temple. And, um, we, we chopped up so much by the second quarter, he took his helmet off on the field and quit the game because he, he, he didn't want to hurt his draft status, right? And so we were looking around like, this guy's a joke. You know what I mean? Because all we, we were so happy to not be in the building getting getting dumped on from the first-year first, first year guys, the these like the fourth-year guys, I just say for yeah. everybody else, that practices were full speed every single day, cutting, tackling to the ground, hitting everybody, no no plays off nothing i mean it was so intense that i'll be honest with you when i got to the league although the talent level was ridiculous i was looking around like i I remember i got to Green Bay. i was like wait a second you guys just want me to practice i don't have to do military stuff there's no school you just want me to practice hard every day oh you shouldn't have let me in here oh and you have free food like i'm never I'm, i'm never leaving yeah this it was it was an amazing experience i learned so much from Talking about, you start with Phil Emery, who was the strength and conditioning coach there at the time, the general manager of the Bears. And I think he might even still work for the Falcons. Think about Todd Spencer, um, uh, uh, me and Gene McKinnon. We got Paul Johnson, Kemp's Nehemiah, and of course, Charlie Weatherby, who was, you know, it's funny, like, I, I don't know, as a head coach, I'm not even sure that he had control of, you know, I was an offensive guy, obviously, but not the control of the the defense, but the way that he was, you know, he was in, in the truest sense, he was a manager of men. He was a leader of men and a great communicator. And, and communication, as, as we know, is, is so, so important. And so having that structure and that community of structure at, at the Naval Academy and then be able to transfer out of the students, I think it just really puts you in an environment where you can be successful despite all the challenges that come along with kind of the size advantages and whatnot. All right. Now, I have two brothers. Uh,
0: one went to the Citadel, which is the Military College of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And another another one went to that other military school up in New York. That, yep. <laughs> West Point, and I'm going to tell you something. It will the way that those guys talk about their school is much like you talking about. Maybe you can hear how much it, that place meant meant to them and means to you, and and the the experience that you have being an athlete at a place where I mean, Kenny used to tell me that the first thing he did with the freshmen when they came into it's, you don't call it plea beer. What is it at Navy? What's it's the, plea beer. You're right. It's plea, right. Yep. Come in for your plea beer and they would have like a 45-minute slot in their day for yeah. athletics, right? So the football players would come to the football office or football facility, and he would put them in a the weight room and shut the light out and let them sleep for 45 minutes because they were going like non- Stop. Explain to the explain to the listeners and the viewers what a day for an athlete at a service academy is going to be like.
2: Well, specifically, you're talking about we're in boot camp. So you just imagine anybody who's coming out of high school goes to boot camp. We're in, we're in boot camp, for lack of a better term. Uh, and I, I can't remember if it's seven weeks or nine weeks. But you're waking up every day at 5 a.m. You're going through PT, You all these military evolutions you have to do during the day. And at some point during boot camp, maybe four or five weeks in, they start letting football players, maybe some of the other varsity athletes, they, they give you like 45 minutes you can go to your team. Now, when I was there, that was like Phil Emery would maybe give you a peanut butter sandwich, but he was gonna teach you how to bench press and hang clean and squat and everything. So the idea that they're getting this, this like 45 minutes of nap time sounds absolutely fantastic, but that's that nowhere near what we were doing. I remember that was the day, cause you gotta remember you go to boot camp and you might be more physically fit, but from a football standpoint, you are now weak because you're doing nothing. I'm eating one peanut butter sandwich a day because my cadre hates football players. So I've lost 30 pounds in boot camp. I'm down to 205. Phil Emery's trying to teach us how to bench press. He's walking around going, what do you bench? What do you bench? I was like, I benched, you know, three plates. He's like, Oh, really? Okay, he takes a look at me. He puts 225 on the bench. He goes, All right, go down, pause for two and push it back up. One, two. Ooh, straining about five seconds i'm lifting up, it takes me about five seconds he looks at me just i just see his big face come over the bar going hey man you don't bench 315 anymore why don't you get back on the little weights <laughs> and that's what we were dealing with every day but 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 going through a boot camp which i think to be honest with you is something that every american should have to go through just to understand you know what service members put themselves through every day just from a just from a routine development habit formation standpoint what it, means, what it means to be part of our United States military and what that means for an outreach maybe is, is as far as an understanding the rest of us can, can have for kind of how they put themselves in harm's way on our, our behalf. So it's, it's a wonderful experience. Everybody can get through boot camp. It's just how you decide to get through boot camp that probably matters the most. And um, it, it's certainly from, again, like I have these conversations with, you know, you go into the pros and you're talking to the guys in Green Bay. It's like, oh, what was your college experience like? Oh, that sounds pretty fun. Why don't we tell you what I did? No. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit different. So, Now, when in your
0: time at Navy, did you recognize that you had a chance or you wanted to play in the National Football League? Or was that just a dream you had as a kid and, and put it on hold when you
2: went to the Navy? Or, or How did that all work? So people don't like hearing this because it probably goes against a lot of that especially the lifers in the military. But. I think I was like third grade teacher does that. What do you want to be when you grow up paper? And I just wrote that I was gonna be a professional athlete. And I kind of listed out my reasons why and everything. And she gave me the paperback. She's like, I need you to write something more realistic. And I said, I'll just take the bad grade because that's what I'm gonna do. So I thought about it. That's all I ever thought I was gonna do. Even when I wasn't highly recruited. I mean, my mom filled out the information for the Naval Academy. I didn't even try to get in. Like I, I didn't even know she had applied for it. And then I realized like, oh, wow, USC is not calling, huh? <laughs> Florida doesn't want me either, you know. It's like, I guess I guess I'm really not that. You know, I'm, I'm at a Division Eight school in the mountains of of San Bernardino. I don't have a lot of tape. I was a really bad quarterback for three years. Played tight end for you know half a season, and then my I was playing well. My quarterback broke his arms. I had no stats. So I was so lucky to go there, but my my focus really never changed. Right? Like I I didn't know how it was going to work out. I just knew that, that I was going to go play pro ball, and I know that sounds naive, and it, and it was, but you know I was 17 18 19 years old and I was going to go play pro ball and that was going to be that all right now a guy at an academy school a, mm-hmm. a military college has got
0: a number of challenges that the typical college athlete doesn't have one of them is and this is this is caused you know you know there's been a lot of guys that had would have had better NFL opportunities had the rule that you and it goes back and forth where you have to serve which is basically paying back for your education right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like roger staubach went out of navy and then went into the navy then came back after it is i think two years and yeah. phil, Mc- phil mcconkey did the same thing the receiver that played for the jets i mean for the giants what was your experience
2: like did you, so were my- you able to were you able to petition to be to get drafted no 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 so when i was there the the, the west point and the air force academy were letting guys go and play. And they would basically give them like a reserve job or like a recruiting job at the local. Right. Right. They give them a recruiting job. So they were still active. they were doing a recruiting job. They go pick up their check and they'd have to, you know, get in the uniform once a day, usually on Tuesdays. and, And then the rest of the time they were football players. Navy was saying absolutely not five year minimum service. I left the Naval Academy after my junior year, I got drafted after my junior year. So I just had to write a relatively substantial check to the United States government to as you know my scholarship and I was allowed to walk so I I I never fulfilled the the military requirements because I never graduated from Navy and unfortunately once you leave you can never go back so okay now that see that now we're getting into a really
0: fascinating thing because that's very much like a number of kids now who come out early right because you know there's a process that you can go through with the nfl where they basically give you a feel for where you're going to be drafted or where you should be drafted but that's not an exact science and there are a number of kids that never get drafted that come out early like that's a really difficult thing to turn your back on that finishing up and having that you know graduating from a place like the naval academy having that you know great job waiting for you but yet you still said, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make this NFL dream come true.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest regrets of my life is not being able to graduate from the academy. There's no question about it. You know, I think that it, it just, I have so many friends that I, and people that I respect that, that went through that process, stayed the entire four years, had a great, you know, a, a service career in the United States military, whether it was Marine Corps or the Navy. And, um, you know, I have so much respect for the people that go through that process. But for me, the, my path was different. I, I, I certainly have no complaints about how things worked out and uh, I was just very lucky that Ron Wolf was from uh, the Annapolis area. It happened to like military guys and and Steve Belichick happened to be in the building and called Bill and Bill called Neil and Neil called me and it just it just happened to work out that I got into a great club in a position where I kind of had a chance to develop because when I came in being an option guy man I was raw
0: yeah. I can't imagine how much that transition i mean just the oh. the you know to the, the to be able to play on two feet to you know the
2: pass block to do all of that kind of stuff first time I, for everything man might as well be the first
0: day now
2: <laughs>
0: you were drafted in the second round of supplemental draft that's right, right? okay why were you not allowed into the regular draft did, did you declare time. after the draft yeah yeah okay all right now now i get it all right so now you go to the you go to the packers Right. And again, how much prep time were you able to put into learning to be a pass blocker, learning all of the nuances of playing, you know, football at the, at the National Football League level? Uh, schematically, the intensity, the size, the strength of the athletes, all of it. Zero. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you, I was. You wait, wait a second. You, you went to training camp and just. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who who was your line coach? Tom Levott. Okay. I got to so tell I, he he must have had some patience because that is a tough transition. dude. Well,
2: I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. And it's kind of it's a funny story. So my agent, Neil Cornish decides that we get drafted. He wants me to hold out because he wants that three-year deal, not a four-year deal. You got to remember, I thought I was going to go play for the Edmonton Eskimos. Charlie Weatherby had got me, hey, do you want to go play for the Edmonton Eskimos? Because I didn't know what I was, you know, I wasn't sure. I, I just wasn't sure about anything. I was a naive kid. Right. So I had this I have this contract still i hanging in my office about this I have a two-year contract for the Edmonton Esmos, 48 Canadian plus a guaranteed bar job in the offseason and uh 1998 and and so I got drafted and like we're waiting and, I, and so you for those who don't know if you're in the supplemental draft but like you're not going to mini camps so my first time putting on a Packer's helmet was like week three of the preseason in training camp because we held out for this year deal you know you're off the contract so mike Owen comes up to me and he's like hey come here i'm so happy to be there you know I'm, you picture me at about you know 25 years younger and you know 300 pounds it's just a big smile on my face and he, he said hey did you get everything you wanted and before i could get the words out of my mouth he just started dog cussing me for holding out on him pissed off at my agent he just said look don't even think about it. you're not playing this year i'll see you next year and i went oh god right and then we went to we went to practice and I just took like nine or ten successive pass pass rush reps, one v ones, Gilbert, Santana, Reggie White, Vonnie Holiday, Von Booker, Billy Lyons. Everyone's just killing me. Like Gilbert's throwing me over the bag. I got clubbed. Santana got me with his his double swipe chop. I was just awful, right? Like barely in the right stance and everything. And I remember it was either that day or the next day, Tom Lavat came up and he's like, Hey man, coach's orders. Sorry, uh I have to deal with the players that are gonna play this year. So I was really lucky to have like Jeff Dellenbach, who was, you know, a Miami Dolphin great for years, but it was up there as a backup center at the time. Frank Winters would throw, throw me some, yeah. you know, nuggets of, of, of goodness as far as what to do, what to, what not to do. And just, man, I was, like I said before, though, it's, you know, you go out there and you're used to practicing as hard as we practiced at the Naval Academy. Like NFL practices, while I might not be doing well. And it's, you know, football is one of those games where if you got a little bit of, you know, shit to you, and you can, you're willing to learn, and you can just put out a lot. Like you can catch up to people real, real fast because not a lot of people are walking down the street learning how to pass block, learning how to run block, learning how to tackle. So if you want right. to learn it, you can learn it pretty quick.
0: Well, now I gotta ask you this one, Reggie. Right? Did did
2: he ever get you with the hump move? Okay, so, so <laughs> it's like it's like nine, ten weeks into the season, right? And I'm I, when I go out and I'm playing scout team, I'm out there like punching people like I'm it's almost like it looks like it probably looks like a drunken fight because I have no technique I don't know what I'm doing and Santana Dotson is getting so mad at me and Gilbert's getting so not that I can block him but just I'm just like a gnat just like obnoxious right and I who knows where my hands are going I could be hitting him in the face and you know so they. so I remember Matt Woolig's playing right tackle on scout team he goes hey man hey come switch with me for a second and I was like oh yeah I'm gonna get it's Reggie okay I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him everything I got So I take my two kicks and I just put my heart and soul into punching him. And he just bull rushes me past the quarterback. I mean, like, it's like, I'm not even there. So I'm like, all right. Next one, we're doing third down, right? So the next one's pass pro again. I go, okay, I'm I'm really going to step into this one. And that's when he decided to club me. And I did a full, it's on tape somewhere. I did a full like rotation in the air and landed on my back. And the whole practice stopped. Because I was, of course, like, I'm the only one who doesn't know what's going on, right? I've been set up. And so the whole practice stops. And I just remember Mike Hol- Everyone's laughing at me. Hi. And Mike Holm just looks over and he goes, get up, man. He's clubbed a lot better than you. Practice, let's go. And I was like, like, welcome to the NFL. All right. Hey, now, that
0: Packer team, Holmgren was there. Uh, John Gruden was there. Um, mm-hmm. Andy Reid. Andy Reid was there uh Jags Jags was Jags, there Jags is one of your guys right yeah Jags Jags a buddy of mine and I'm trying to think who was the Mike guy Sherman was, was there yeah and who was the who was the defensive coordinator that left and went to the went to the Eagles and took Gruden as his offensive coordinator I can't remember the
2: guy and then, then he went to the Lions right he was a Lions head coach yeah yeah yeah, yeah. his name's escaping me but yeah man he, he what a what a great coaching staff Fritz Shermer yeah yeah I mean, we yeah. we had a, we had a great uh Listen, I'm coming into the NFL and not knowing a lot about the NFL. So you just don't, at the time, and obviously not like, you know, John Gruden wasn't John Gruden back then. Yeah. And Andy Reid wasn't Andy Reid, but you, you're just around these teachers. And I think as my time in the NFL, and then just, you know, being out of football and kind of being around other things, that what you come to appreciate about Mike Holmgren and his staff, Mike Sherman, they're teachers first. And there's not as many teachers in football as there used to be. There's not as many, there's, there's a lot of coaches. There's not as many teachers. There's not people who are really, really good at communicating concepts at communicating the details of technical mastery. And, and I just really appreciate that. Like I remember during a a Friday um, red zone meeting, he called up Frank Winters, our starting center. He's like, you're installing today. And Frank knocked it out of the park. Because he knew, and he knew all the I mean, Frank's a smart guy, right? But and he's the center, but he knocked it out of the park because he conceptually knew every single thing that every player was supposed to be doing. And having that level of mastery as the center, I mean, I, I can't go, I can't think of another team where I could go to and that would be possible, right? They just had a great group of teachers.
0: Well, I'm gonna tell you something that that is really so true, and and uh, you know, it's it's interesting that a lot of and and this is, you know, again, I. Maybe maybe I'm saying it because I'm a old guy now, but, you know, some of those older coaches that could come in and really, really understood and could, you know, they had they had lost um, that amount of ego that young coaches have that desire to climb the you know, climb the ladder, the, you know, all of that stuff. And you watch a guy, um, you know, um, Coach Moore down at down at Tampa Bay, uh, I mean, it's incredible. He can coach straight, coach football, and yeah. you know those guys are really to to have an opportunity to be around guys like that is really a special thing for you. Now, you, you played for three different teams. How many head coaches?
2: One, two, three, four. Well, so I had Mike twice. I had his first year, his last year in uh, Green Bay, and his last year in Seattle. And then I had uh, we had Ray for Ray Bob uh, Ray Rhodes for one year. We had Mike Sherman, and then I had John Fox in in Carolina. So what's that? Four, four. Okay,
0: what are the commonalities between those four guys, and what are the what were the differences in those four guys?
2: Well, I think the commonality commonalities is that they were all um, they're all grinders. (laughs) They were all definitely they all had cots in their offices (laughs) for sure, Uh, which I think is probably standard fare at this point. you know they were they are actually a, a lot different personality-wise. So so Mike, by the time I was there, Mike had already won Super Bowls, and it was it was Mike Holmgren, and I, they were they were battling at that time that coach GM position that mm-hmm. was, as of yet in the league. And so there was a little bit of that going around as far as kind of how the building felt. Um, and I again, like I told you before, I was kind of out of the loop really that rookie year um, with Ray Rhodes. Ray was the kind of guy that he would literally call he like he'd pull me out of meetings to play dominoes. Um, and I say that I think he was doing it because he knew that like I was playing at the time, but didn't have a great relationship with Larry Bechtel, the, the line coach. I think he was kind of getting me out of class. So, you know, we could kind of keep it on a level. Uh, but he was that kind of guy. He did that with a lot of players. He was just he was that, you know, he was. Um, I think people would call him a player's coach in the sense that he made you always feel really comfortable around him. Now, whether that translates to do we have enough discipline to be successful? You know, it, you know the, the tenure was short, so it was tough. Mike Sherman was like, he was like talking to a, a trial lawyer. Now, he's an offensive line coach by trade, so he was Mike Flanagan's line coach, our center's line coach. So, we, you know, we kind of always knew we were going to be put in a position to be successful. But when you talk to him, it's like you really had to watch what you're saying. It was like he was really like a trial lawyer. It was amazing um, to be around that guy. You just had to be sharp all the time. John Fox. Um, John Fox is a defensive minded guy, first defensive minded guy that I I'd ever been around as a head coach. I know Ray Rhodes was, but he didn't really bring that attitude like we already had a top three offense in Green Bay all the time. So I was used to a top three offense. So I think the struggle for me, at least when I went to Carolina, amongst other things was it was like, if you guys score, if you guys score 17 points, we're going to win the game. And it's like, well, man, I didn't come here to like strive for average. No one's trying to score 17 points. We're trying to score 27 points. We want to score 27 points a game, not 17. You wouldn't want to draw us at every third and eight. And so that I think that part was, you know, that was tough for me. But from a from an energy standpoint and, and a defensive mindset, I think, you know, John was was next level. And then, of course, having Mike again that last year uh, in Seattle, I think, you know, again, he's just such a great teacher. And, and just kind of a guy when he walks in the room, every kind of eye, all eyes on him. He's got that presence. Tell me about your Pro Bowl year that, that one shining year that, that
0: really, 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 really excelled.
2: So I'll be honest with you. I think my three years prior to that, I was, I was better than, um, if not, you know, at least as good if not better than, uh, I think it's just a matter of, you know, how the Pro Bowl goes. Sometimes, um, Green Bay Packers fans voted me into the Pro Bowl. They were just a couple of years late. I think I had to leave town to make sure to, to have them know that I was, I, I might've been worthy beforehand, which is kind of, a, you know, one of the reasons I, I probably decided to leave Green Bay and go to Carolina in the first place. Um, uh, but it's that having that recognition is always great. It certainly, feels good to be recognized for the for the work you put in. Um, I think more importantly, that year for me, we got to the NFC Championship. You know, uh, team success and and you know to your point about you know old coaches, new coaches. You know, team success fuels everything we do, and I think a lot of on many levels because of branding. I'm talking about players now, I'm talking about coaches. I mean, how many how many offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator names? Was, were, were, were you made publicly aware of 20 years ago versus now. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just a whole different level of brand recognition, right? Whereas back in the day, it was very simple. You win games, you get fans, you get votes, you get sponsorship deals, you get more money. I mean, it all comes with, like winning was the thing, the only thing. Now it's just not, it's, it's still the thing, it's just not the only thing. So being in that situation, being able to go to the NFC Championship, despite being on some amazing teams in Green Bay and just falling short, like it was, it was, a, it was a great feeling, great experience. You know, it's amazing.
0: Mike, you talk about that, and, and it really has changed. Uh, people say, you know, are players different today? I, I don't know if I buy into that. I think players have come up different today, certainly, than they used to. And I think that the, the the players have access to information and things that players in the past never had. The The whole idea of, you know, promoting the personal brand above the team, that, that can cause, you know, not only challenges in the locker room; it, it it affects your ability to win football games. I, I truly oh, truly no, believe no that. No question. And, yeah, no question. And you you know I think about a guy like OBJ who, you know, <laughs> you you get you get a great player, but you also get a ton of other stuff that comes with it, and you know, it's I think that's one of the that's one of the byproducts of this, you know. Brand development that's going on at the player level so much today.
2: You know, it, we we could go down this wormhole forever, Coach, because I totally agree with you. And you know, if you think about it, just from the start, access to information is phenomenal. But there's also so many experts now that aren't experts, so mm. you have access to a lot of bad information. You know the thing that access to information does is people aren't as curious as they used to be. And when I mean by curious is if I can if I can type in anything and find the answer I want. You know, for me to become a master at something, a lot of people don't understand that process anymore. So when you say that when the players aren't different, no, they're not different. They were raised different. And so they, they don't, you know, the problem is when you're told what to do all the time, The ask is the information is so accessible. Then when then when real times of the, in need of resiliency, when tough times come up, a lot of kids don't, these days don't know how to handle themselves. Yeah. I see a lot of people in the NFL struggle. Athletes that are talented that want it. They just don't have the tools set to be successful. Now They weren't taught it or they haven't, they haven't been curious enough to go find it. You know you have a lot of athletes like the, the, when you mentioned you know they follow, people follow them around with with cameras every day they think it's a reality show as well because they're trying to build that brand and look we perpetuate it in the nfl i mean you go on right now you got to vote on twitter to make the pro bowl so it's like we're, we feed that vicious cycle and, and it's always fun i think as as coaches as former players it's fun to watch the guys that you just watch and go man this it means something to this guy. Like he's you can tell he's doing it the right way i love i love watching some especially some of the linemen now because the the discrepancy between like good and uh, really good and and the rest of the heap i think is that golf's pretty wide to me now
0: yeah it's amazing i got we, we got some questions from from viewers that uh i want to get some get some input from you uh, this is from fred flunk who is in belfast and he says hi mike the best coach you ever played for and why
2: Well, for me, the best coach I ever had aside from my dad was Phil Emery, the strength and conditioning coach in Navy. And and the reason that I would say that, and I don't know if you want you're probably not asking about him, but I want to give him the respect he's due. He taught me the process matters and he taught me the details matter. Um, He taught me that that when 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 you look at the body of work you're trying to put together, it's a series of tiny processes, tiny movement patterns, decision making, all of that stuff. The resiliency, the, the body armor, everything that you build up, all the lessons you learn in the weight room, you can transfer the, the field of play, especially in a sport like football. Head coach wise, Mike Sherman, like I said, he was like talking to a trial lawyer, but with Mike Sherman, I always knew we were gonna be put in a position to be successful. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he was an offensive uh, line coach by trade, but um, I, I just thought he was extremely intelligent. And uh, except for that one fourth and one call in the, in the Philly game and playoffs, like, you know, he always served us right.
0: Hey, now, here's another one from uh, the U.K. Packers, which is a huge Packer fan fan group uh, in the U.K. It says, Mike, you look like you're in top shape. We see most offensive and defensive linemen shed pounds after their career. <laughs> what, what was that transition like for you after you retired?
2: So I blew up my shoulder twice. That's why I had to stop playing. And so it's actually really hard for me to put weight on as much as I'd want. I'd, I'd love to be walking around bigger, benching 500 pounds still. Like I would love that, but I can't. And I think most offensive linemen, like, it, let's say everybody starts about 300 pounds when they retire. I've got friends that dropped 50, and I got friends that went the other way. And, you know, it's just, it's a flip of the coin. It's just how much you want to eat. But um, when you weigh 300 pounds, when you weigh 315 pounds and you're sweating walking upstairs and nobody's paying you for it anymore, yeah, it's time to lose some weight. Get on that, you do you know, that, get, on that, get on that jump rope.
0: Sebastian Vollmer, who, you know, played with the Patriots for, I think, six or eight years in this won a couple of Super Bowls, a great, great guy. And Sebastian was one of the first players we had in the International Player Development Program and went on to Houston, was drafted by the Patriots in I think the third round. And you look at him today and he looks like a small tight end. I mean, and but he feels exact, he's almost a verbatim quote, he feels liberated from the body that he had to carry around to play effectively in the National Football League at 330 pounds.
2: Coach, seven thousand calories a day, and I was on. I had a dietitian. Like, I I really worked at it, and uh, I love working out. The preparation for me was 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 all of it. And that's the only thing. That's the only thing that I felt I could get an advantage on was my preparation. So I, I spent a lot of time on it. But I was eating two pounds of of meat every meal. Like nobody nobody really wants to do that. You know what I mean? Nobody really wants to do that. When my wife was when my wife's water broke on our first kid. And I'm supposed to grab the suitcase as we're as we're leaving the house to go to the hospital. I have my plate. I have my plate of ground beef and peppers in my hand with a fork. I'm eating. I'm driving with my knee. She goes, "Where's my suitcase?" I said, "Well, I got the food." So it just it just oh, becomes man. part of who you are.
0: Hey, hey, listen, Michael, come on out here. Let's let's talk to Mike. Big um, Magic, Mike, our engineer, and and uh, you know,
2: hey, works so
0: works with me on the broadcast. Hey, 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 on you me. know you know him from being on the Irish NFL show uh michael we got some good questions for the big guy today huh
1: yeah we have we've actually got one more before we go off and talk here uh last one graham in southampton what was it like playing with brett farb there's also loads of comments jeff for you albert sunday wishing you luck so should be good fun yeah so so brett's you know
2: generational talent obviously i think i, I always try to tell explain to people what what being around a guy like that who has the confidence that he does and and deserving confidence not only from his athletic ability but from the way he prepares like he was phd smarter running the west coast offense and what brett and that whole locker room really with reggie Leroy butler all those guys really did for you frank winters mark Shamura, antonio freeman Dorsey i could go on is You know, when you're a young kid and you're watching like the program or you're watching all these football movies and you think you got to manufacture emotion, especially in football, because there's this. I mean, ultimately, the baseline is it you're probably afraid you're going to get hurt. You're going to get embarrassed. But you have to manufacture this emotion you think you do in order to kind of get up to play football. And the truth is, and one thing that Brett shows you is that if you prepare and you know you're good, you know, it's like we 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 specialized in in. And working hard and kicking ass, man. And we love doing both. And we love doing both as a team. And when you've got that feeling inside you, like you don't have to go out and manufacture that emotion. You can go out and have a good time doing the best you can with, with the people you love to work with. And that was such a valuable lesson. And we, we talk about now like sympathetic versus parasympathetic state. We're talking about these different brain functions and whatnot. But back in the day, it was really that simple, man. Like get to the point where you're confident enough in your preparation. You go out and just have a great time being good. That is the ultimate freedom as an athlete, when you know
0: that you're prepared and it's just the the hardest part is the weight to go perform. And that that I think is a real, real important thing that young players really need to grasp that, you know, your your performance is so related to your preparation. And yeah, and a lot, my, Mike, I tell you, a lot of young kids and, you know, every year we see them come from. Big time college programs, guys come come to us out of the National Football League, and they don't have a clue about what it means to prepare to win
2: at, at, the, at the professional level. It's it's amazing. You know, the the I work my, my company is Process to perform and I run a total athlete development platform, and it's all based on this one idea that confidence and confidence in your preparation is the only thing that no one will ever be able to take away from you is you're gonna find bigger, faster, stronger athletes. You're gonna find better resources from other teams. But if, if, if every individual on your team is playing with the confidence that they know they put themselves in the best position to be successful, man, you've got something there, right? That's, that's really why you think about it as a coach, all your late nights, all your film sessions, all, your, all your, your meetings, all your intense practice sessions, what are you really trying to do? You're trying to give them the confidence that they can go out and be successful, right? That's what we're all trying to accomplish, and and once you, for me, it's like once you boil it down to that reality, the game becomes pretty simple. That's exactly right,
0: man. I tell you what, it's been a blast having you on the show today. We're gonna get you back, man. I I want to really get into some deeper topics along that whole thing because I think that is that's the cutting edge, right? The game is. You know, no matter how much we try and say the game's different, the game's still the same game. It's the thing that it's the preparation. It's the, the athlete development, mental and physical development. All of those things are fascinating things. And I think they make a great show one time just to get into that. Dig really deep into that. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Been a pleasure having you with us, big man. And again, thank
1: you for joining the show. Thanks, coach. Thank you, Michael and Jeff. Thank you. I think we're going to end the show here. I always want to say one thing very quickly. Thanks for everyone's comments. Obviously, Jeff. Good luck on Sunday. Yeah, I have made this especially for you. So good. Good luck on Sunday. The game is at eleven o'clock our time, UK Ireland, six p.m. Eastern. BT Sport, etc. Uh, Jeff, you're you're going to bring it home, and we're going to do a live show next Monday. Yeah. All
0: right, baby. Let's go. I like the sounds of it. See you.